Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 to 18. The words of the teacher, a son of David, king of Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, is this something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that have been done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Thank you so much, Kate. Um, we set well bits of the Bible we're going to do before we <coughs> plan special events like missioning services. So you may be wondering what that has to do with Tim Heather going to Australia. The series is called Under the Sun, so I guess there's some link there. Um, but we uh, hopefully it will become clear as we go through that bit of the Bible. Let's pray together as we start. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and that it speaks so clearly to what we experience in the world. And we pray today you will give us wisdom to understand and the work of your spirit to obey what you reveal to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
one of the things I get to do on uh, Christmas holidays is I get to read a whole newspaper from cover to cover instead of just 20 headlines on Twitter or whatever. And uh, this holiday I read a very interesting article about how many MPs, that is members of the British Parliament, have mental health problems. The article didn't give a number, but said it's a lot. Now I guess some of that is to do with lots of late nights, drinking too much alcohol, overwork, constant criticism on social media. But the heart of the problem, according to one MP, is this. He said anonymously, you become an MP thinking you're really getting to the centre of power. You're getting to the place you can really make a difference once you become an MP. But then you get there and it turns out you can't do anything. You can hardly achieve anything at all. You just end up running from place to place. You only ever really do what your political party wants. Even if you get into government, every lever to pull that you have doesn't seem to work. There's something about the way the world is that making your mark, <coughs> leaving your legacy, seems to be impossible. Um, our own Prime Minister, I think, wants us to forget, but we may remember, that this time last year, he made five pledges to all of us. I think that should be easy. You're the most powerful people in the country. Just do the things that will bring the five pledges about. But he hasn't really made his mark by doing those things. Now this book, Ecclesiastes, is all about that experience. It is all about life under the sun. That is life in this creation. And what he is saying in this book, you may find this depressing, but he will get cheerful at the end, what he is saying in this book is, even the best, even the most important, even the cleverest and wisest people don't do much that makes any difference at all to the way the world works. Now, it would be possible for me to give a sort of Christian version of this talk and say, everything unspiritual, everything in normal life is like this, so stop trying to focus on worldly things, focus on spiritual things instead. You focus on wealth, stop focusing on wealth and success, it's chasing after the wind, share the gospel instead, then you'll have a real impact. But I don't even think the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying that. I mean, it would be an easy talk for me to give today. Give up your comfortable life in Liverpool and go to another place to help people and reach people here about Jesus. Then, Tim and Heather, you'll know about meaning and purpose and impact of the world. But I don't even think Ecclesiastes will let us make that simple jump. I don't think it's saying if you focus on the right things, you'll feel like you're having an amazing impact on the world. I think he's saying, under the sun, in this creation, everything even good and right things that God says are right, everything will be haunted by this sense of chasing the wind. Even good and right 
and spiritual things. And I guess that means some of us can only be very disturbed by hearing a Bible, the Bible talk like this. Maybe you've been told, oh, if you really do the right things, you get meaning and purpose all the time. We're so tuned to the idea that the only point of life is to be the best that you can be, to do something great, to get your own happiness. That a book that makes us face our limits, sadness and frustration will be extremely disturbing. But the writer is not just about depressing us. His words, he says, are like a goad, which is like a sharp kick in the stomach that you give a horse to make it move. He says, I'm not holding back from how difficult the world is, but that is to give you a kick to live in the right way. To live as a limited human being in a world that is run for God's impact, not yours. You won't see your legacy under the sun. That's not your place in creation. So stop fighting to make your mark and live in a way that honours God. That's what he's going to say. So, first thing that we see, sort of these depressing headings, you won't make a difference. That's what he's saying. Verse 2 says this phrase, everything is meaningless. You may see a problem with that sentence. It is a thing called self-refuting. You know, if everything is meaningless, that sentence is meaningless. Therefore, it cannot be telling us that everything is meaningless, and so on and so forth. You think about that all day, internally, that self-refuting. The translators have been trying to be helpful by putting in the world meaningless. All their translations say this, I like it better. Everything is vanity, which is a way of saying everything is in vain. Everything doesn't achieve anything. The word literally means like a vapour, a mist, something that just comes and goes without making any difference at all. We live, our family, in the city centre right beside the huge hulking bulk of Liverpool Cathedral. Um, Anyway, let's not talk about that. Uh, but anyway, sometimes when it's foggy, we wake up in the morning and look out our window and our little children say, the cathedral is gone. Because it's foggy. We can't see it. They think it's disappeared. Of course, a couple of hours later, the cathedral just looks like this out of our window. It's just there in the sun. What seemed to have made it disappear hasn't made the slightest difference at all to the reality. Hasn't affected it in the slightest. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, everything is like that. Everything we do in life, everything that seems like life and death, that seems important, that consumes us day to day, when it passes, it hasn't made any difference to reality at all. Nothing makes any difference. It's a mist. Think about the MPs. The people we think are the most influential in the country. Saying we're all depressed because we can't achieve what we want to achieve. Some of you will have had this experience. Medics 
we, we put our lives in your hands, but you can't save the lives of people you want to save. Think about all the people you consider doing things that are very worthwhile. People that are working on cures for cancer. You know, God bless them. But what they will tell you is, what that involves is a lot of failed experiments to find a cure for cancer. There is a vast number of people working on those cures who never get any recognition from anyone. Vanity. Vapor says the teacher, absolutely everything is infected by this feeling that we're not getting anywhere. And the teacher makes it clear, he is the cleverest, he's done the most research, and he is the son of David. So he is the most powerful, wealthiest person who there is who can comment on this issue. Now there's some debate about whether the teacher is the actual historical figure, Solomon, or just writing as Solomon to make a point, he was a famous king in Israel, he was known to be the wisest of all. The point he's making is this, this is the pinnacle person who experiences this. He's saying, it's not just you who feels this way because of your particular situation. Because I like to read books about management and productivity, I like reading them more than moving in practice. Uh, and they can still be useful for reasons that the writer will come to. But because I read those books, some algorithm has picked up, or a smart speaker is overhearing what I'm talking about, or something. I'm constantly impressed by social media adverts recommending other books, which are telling me that if my life isn't satisfactory, I just need to review my goals and make a change, and it will all be fulfilling and different. Now, there could be a reason to review my goals and increase my productivity. But it is not because I will ever escape the feeling of vanity. And the teacher is writing this to say, I recognize this feeling. You recognize this feeling. But we're always tempted to think, if I become better, if I become richer, if I become more important, I'll escape that feeling. And the teacher is saying, no, listen, I'm the king. I'm the person with the most power, the most wealth, the most options, and the most wisdom. And I've still found that life is like this. He is, I guess, an influencer. But he's not using his platform to tell us how great his life is. But to say every life is infected with this feeling. I deal a lot, I guess, in myself, I'm just a human being, and in my job, trying to help other people with the feeling of just being miserable in life. But I don't mean the feeling of grief. Grief is a part of life, Ecclesiastes is going to say, that is necessary when tragic and bad things happen. So I don't mean that. I mean the misery that people often feel of feeling useless and trapped and that life is not what we wanted and planned it to be. And often that misery is fueled by looking at other people who seem to have it sorted, who are out in the world doing great things. You know, I have reached the stage in life where people who I was at university with have just received honours 
in the New Year's Honours list. And I can look at that and feel the misery of what am I doing that's making any impact in the world. But that's why this book is structured the way it is. It's written by this person, the king of, of the most powerful person there is, to say, listen, under the sun, in this creation, broken by our rebellion against God, that is part of the whole human condition, to be haunted by this feeling of pointlessness in everything we try, even the wise king in Jerusalem. Don't be fooled by Instagram or the honours list. Now listen, the teacher is going to tell us we should still be obedient to God, we should still make wise decisions, we should still think what's the best way to live given that God is in heaven and has given me this life. Let's be clear, he is not recommending giving up. Say, well, there's no point in trying anything. He's here to say, you mustn't give up, even though it often feels like this. But he is here to say, you leaving a mark is not the point of life. Obedience and wisdom are still to be commended, but not because of what they'll achieve. <coughs> but because they're right, because they're good. So let me just be really clear. You might have heard this, and it's wrong. God is not saying, if you are obedient and wise, life will be fulfilling and significant. He is not saying, if you've done the right thing, you'll be able to see the impact you're having. God does not promise that. And that is highly disturbing to us. If we have been taught, if you're doing what's right, you'll see amazing results. Maybe financially you've been taught that. You do the right thing, God will reward you financially. Or maybe spiritually, you do the right thing, God will have to use your life in this amazing way. Under the sun, everything is meaningless. That is not the reason to do what's right, because what it achieves. You do what's right, because it's right. Now, Tim and Heather, I think, are going to Australia because they think it is the best way to reflect what I've said. That they are human, and God is God, and therefore their lives belong to Him. I don't think they're going for a refreshing life experience. I don't even think they're going because they're saying, yes, God has promised us great success in their ministry there, although we pray for that. Because we do obey and do what's wise functionally to get something. We do this so we get this blessing. That's not the way the world works. This feeling of vapour, of back to square one, of what am I actually achieving here will follow us wherever we go. Even if we reach the point of being the cleverest and richest and best. Here's the second thing. Maybe you find this more encouraging. Tiredness is normal. Tiredness is normal. I wonder how many bad habits, unwise habits, and sinful habits, they reform them because we are foolishly trying to escape the feeling of weariness of life, of boredom, of apathy, of repetitiveness. That is actually inevitable in everything we do, but we are trying to escape it. Now, the writer says, it's part of life under the sun that everything is wearisome. The best person with the most exciting life 
will sometimes, perhaps a lot of the time, still find life exhausting. But I wonder how much time people spend aimlessly scrolling through the internet or in pointless discussions with strangers instead of loving their spouse or family or friends because we think it will medicate our weariness of life. I wonder how many addictions to porn or alcohol or food come about because people just felt worn down and tired with the monotony of life. I want life to stop feeling that way. Now here's the Bible's, um, one of the Bible's answers to that. It may not be the one you're expecting. There's lots of stuff in the Bible about how looking at creation will fill us with the wonder of the glory of God. But here we see creation teaching us something else in verses 5 and 6. He says, listen, the sun rises and the sun sets. That will happen every day, no matter what you do. The wind just keeps blowing. One way, then another. You won't change that. The water keeps flowing into the sea. The sea is never full. And these endless circles of everything means everything feels tired and tiring. This feeling that life just goes on. I feel tired of it. It's built into creation. Shouldn't be surprising to us. It's amazing. A lot of people, because they feel this way, actually have thoughts of ending their own lives. And the writer acknowledges that this is what life is like and is going to say that's not a reason to give it up. It's built into the way the world is. The sun rises and sets, the wind blows one way than another, the rivers never stop flowing endlessly. This feeling of tired and dissatisfied shouldn't be surprising to us because it's built into life under the sun. Creation is grooming, just like us. And in the same way that the world just goes on doing the same thing day after day, so people just go on repeating the same thing again and again, and no one remembers all the people who did it before. In the history of how long the world has existed, I haven't been alive for very much of it. 45 and a half years. Still, I have the experience of watching every brand new politician promising something and thinking, I think someone's done that before. I think this was suggested at the last election. It's, um, you know, you watch a TV programme. They think everybody's watching at the moment. What's the first thing you think? Oh, it's a bit like that other thing I saw on ITV. Or uh, maybe you do see something that's really original to me. This happened to me recently. I saw something and thought, wow, that's really original. I've never seen anything like that. And then I read an article about it and they said, it's just based on the Shakespeare play. The world just goes on and on. And looking for lasting meaning in it is crazy. And every new thing that is done is actually something that someone has done or said or made before. And that means that when one generation passes, no one remembers them anymore. Why would we? They just did the same thing that the people before them did, and the same things people after them will do. It all feels like vapour, and that makes this world feel endlessly tiring. Now, just to be clear, because 
really thought how gloomy. He is going to say there is a way to live, to thrive even, in a world that runs like that. But he is saying it won't be by discovering the way we can make a difference. It won't be me being recognised as significant and important. We won't live happily in the world once we find our unique contribution. We won't thrive by having the best and most original ideas. There aren't any. And if you do make some small iota of difference to somebody else, it will be so small that in another generation no one will remember you at all. And by constantly chasing the feeling of significance, by trying to make a mark, we're making ourselves miserable. Tim and Heather are not off to have new experiences to satisfy more than life here. Life under the sun, even the greater sun that they will get in Australia, won't give us that anywhere. The wearisomeness of life will follow them wherever they go. We need to adjust to that. I know a lot of people who have thrown grenades at perfectly good lives. Lives that were wise. Lives they could have lived in to reflect God's rule. Lives that were obedient to God. Lives that had opportunities to sacrifice for Jesus, to love other people more than themselves, to enjoy God's gifts. But people have exploded those lives because they became overwhelmed with, you know, to use their language, feeling trapped, feeling tired, feeling bored, not achieving anything. Everyone gets bored, even with the best things. That doesn't mean the things are not good. Look at nature, the writer says. That type of repetition and boredom and mundaneness, it's built in. It is foolish to build your life around trying to escape that feeling. And if you do, throw a grenade at your boring life to try and stop it being wearisome. You will not end up with a good and wise life. Now, to be clear, he's not against the rivers and the seas, and he's not against enjoying them. But he is saying we learn from them that seeking gain and impact and influence with our lives is not a realistic way to be. Third thing, wisdom will solve it. Some things in life are not meaningless in the wrong sense. Wisdom is better than stupidity. Pleasure is better than pain. Work is better than laziness. The Bible says all of that. But the teacher is not going to try all of those good things as a way of trying to get past this feeling of vanity. He's going to attach his life to gaining wisdom, attach his life to experiencing pleasure, attach his life to hard work to say, can I get past the feeling that it's not all got any point? And the first example is verses 12 to 18, gaining wisdom. And what he says is, no matter how clever you are, what's crooked cannot be straightened. So you can learn as much as you like, you will never iron out all the problems in the world. This film, Oppenheimer, came out this year by a genius, clearly a genius, the man who invented the nuclear bomb. 
But his great genius, I thought this is what the film was saying, maybe I'm wrong, his great genius couldn't answer the moral question at all about what should you do with a nuclear bomb. You can get all the wisdom, the cleverness, the intelligence of the world, but what is crooked cannot be straightened by that. That's not how it works. In fact, the writer says, the more you know about the true state of the world, in verse 18, the unhappier and the less satisfied you'll be. Joshua, we were discussing this uh, for Christmas, and he was telling me that at, he's at the stage where his children, as they walk through town, are asking, what homeless people? And the youngest ones are, will settle for the answer, some people don't have homes and we want to help them. But as they get older, they will ask that great childhood question, why? And we'll have to get into answering questions about poor government policy making, about family tragedy, about addiction, about bad choices. With more wisdom, become more grief. Maybe one of them one day will do a PhD in the cause of homelessness. It'll be a very, very sad area of study. Wisdom and knowledge are good. The Bible records whole hymns in praise of them, but they don't give meaning to life. The cleverest person ends up with the weight of responsibility they may not be able to carry, and they're still unlikely to make very much more on the world. And it's true, isn't it? Many people who present as contented, and people do that, it's because they're just ignoring all the difficult things in life for a while. There is a crookedness, a lack in the world that clever and thoughtful people will become aware of, but they won't be able to change. So the Bible does commend wisdom and knowledge, but expect them to propel you out because there are things to do to honour God. But collecting wisdom, learning more, being the cleverest of all in books, give meaning to life. God is God, and we are human, and we continue to learn because that is our place. Not because God is promising we'll change the world. Did you notice in this chapter of the Bible, God hardly gets mentioned at all. He gets mentioned once in verse 13, where the writer says, what a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Now at the end of the book, he's going to tell us what this kind shepherd is goading us towards. But we're not going to go there yet. We're going to sit with this truth. This is what life is like. Carrying heavy burdens. And as New Testament believers, as we sit this with this truth, the comfort we take is that our God has lived this life. We know that our God became the Lord Jesus who lived in the world under the sun, the most fleeting and vaporous life you could imagine. He did manual work, but none of it remains. He said lots of wise things, but nobody listened to him. But he was cruelly murdered in his mid-thirties. Our God knows and has not left us alone in this world with this burden to carry. 
let's be clear, everybody is living this. I mean, I know some people are telling you they aren't. Some people are saying, no, I don't believe in God, and my life is full and brilliant, and I don't believe you. Everyone is living in this. But Christians are living it with the God who has been here to help us. Let me finish by saying two things, two different groups of people. How do people react? I'm in my mid-40s, as I said. I'm having the experience in life where a lot of my peers, my friends, who I grew up with or whatever, have stopped going to church. It's not because they've had a crisis of faith. I think it's because we grew up, we came of age in the time of new labour, everything was full of hope and dreams and everything was going well. We used to sing this song in my youth group by Delirious, not a group I'm recommending. We used to sing this song in my group, youth group that said, I'm going to be a history maker in this land. And we were full of hope and dreams. There was a lot more money about than there was today, there is today. And people have got to their mid-40s and discovered it's not turned out that way. Life is much more about cleaning up yogurt spillages, changing nappies, trying to pay the mortgage. But we were given a spirituality that said God can be honoured in the vanity, the vaporousness of normal life. We had to be history makers. And we discovered we weren't going to do that. It's going to go to church. And if you're my age, maybe a bit older, and filled with that uh, enthusiasm, uh, Ecclesiastes is going to say, Stop thinking about the change you bring. Just be wise. Just be obedient. If you're younger than me, though, I guess lots of you will read Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and be like, yeah, I get this vibe. Really where I'm at. Opportunities these days for you are much harder to come by. Mental health is a huge struggle for many people. This chimes with us. Good. At least part of Ecclesiastes 1 is saying God gets you. He's lived it. He's here to help you. And he's here to help you not to run around looking for significance in things that can't grant it. But to say, if that's how you feel, there is a way to live in a world that makes you feel like this a lot. You do not have to give up. In a moment, we're going to pray and commission Tim and Heather. I do believe that they have made this choice because they accept the message of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing that will grant fulfilment here under the sun. So don't structure your life around trying to find it. Instead, say to God, I will do what most reflects that you're God and I'm human. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. These words that open us up to reality. And we do want to pray they're sobering and they're, they can, you know, if you think about them too much, they can make us feel sad. And yet we know that what you're doing is helping us see the truth. And we pray you'll help us to accept what's right.
Presidente Cortes.